It's Thursday morning, everyone. Welcome to Kafaru Cast. I'm riding solo today. Frank, I believe, is still out chasing mule deer in Idaho. And uh, I've got my good friend Cody Greenwood. Cody, for those of you who don't know who he is, um, if you're in the trad world, you do. Uh, he works with The Push, and uh, he has what's called the Trad Lab. And uh, what he does from that, from the outside looking in, is uh, he's a statistical guy. And uh, I'll let him take over here in a second. But he breaks down all the bro science and gets all that shit kind of thrown out and does very in-depth testing on multiple different things to do with traditional archery. I probably did a very redneck job of explaining that. But, man, thanks for coming on and kind of tell everybody a little bit about what you do. I think you did a great job of explaining that. Uh, I appreciate you having me on here. Um, in uh, For money, for my career, I, I work in continuous improvement. And um, I go through businesses, and uh, right now I'm working for the railroad. And uh, we, we work on improving processes and using statistics to show where we need to work and the magnitude of what the changes are and then driving that change. And I'm applying that. I've worked in that space for about 15 years for different uh, companies. Last year, around this time, uh, it was right after Worlds. I think I, we talked a little bit prior to this. It was after I saw how people could actually shoot. I tried to apply my skill set and my workspace to archery to improve my own uh, uh, learning curve. And then once I started hitting that and I you know, kind of redefined the five-minute mile for myself with traditional archery, of course, I wanted to start telling other people about it. So that's that's my whole angle is I think there's a lot of space for people to uh, – there's a lot of different groups on social media for people to just kind of have cool wood bows and talk about them. And there's very few spaces where people can actually break down their shots and define what a good bow is. Or if you're shooting compound all year – or shooting a recurve all year long and picking up your compound for hunting season, there's l- small spaces right now for people to go look at that and compare what makes a good shot, what makes a good bow, and that's what I'm trying to do. And for those tuning in, I think uh, especially compound guys or even rifle guys, um, even though this is obviously going to be a little bit more as far as the base of this conversation, uh, traditional heavy, I think everything you listen to in the next hour, hour and a half or however long we talk can be applied to whether it be rifle shooting competitively or compound archery because a small example of what Cody does is something that I did with a compound. When I would fletch arrows, I would fletch three arrows with three inch four fletch offset. I do three inch four fletch helical, three inch three fletch helical. I would label all those. You guys have heard me talk about this before. I'd stand back at 80 yards and I'd shoot groups. The three inch, let's say three fletch helical would be the red group. That's my red sharpie. The four fletch helical would be my black sharpie. There will be, without a doubt, um, when you go down at the end of the hour-long shooting of all those different arrows, one of those different color codes will be a tighter group than the other. Uh, that is what I used to pick what vein setup I would use. That's, I was like, all right, well, you can't argue with that. And that is what Cody does in a nutshell. That can be applied to everything. And compound guys are just as bad, I think, as stickbow guys on some bro science things. The weight room is the worst for bro science, right? Like how many grams of protein do you need per body? Whatever. Right. There's 4 million different scenarios. And if you see some big yoked out motherfucker telling you what to do, you're probably going to listen to him. But he could be genetically superior and just yoked, giving you shitty advice, which I've seen tons. The same can happen with archery. You can have a guy that's just gifted as a great shot that may or may not be giving somewhat 
piss poor advice or he could be paid. Right. That happens a lot and you're not paid by anyone. Nope. And so. I think I pay extra actually. Yeah. <laughs> no case. People have caught on to me. So when I make an order, it's, it's like, uh, we, this could be bad. Yeah. So, right. um, you have definitely pissed off some people much like I did myself. So I feel your pain there. Um, because you break it down as much as you can, um, to a non-arguable point that you're, you know, there can be obviously variances in there, but you know, the string silencer, for example, and this is something I encourage guys with a compound to do. Um, uh, Cody did a, a trad lab to, you know, basically what string silencer works the best, quote unquote. Um, and what you found the same thing I found is really adding arrow weight does more than, than most string silencers. But what Cody did was put a sheet up and fired a bunch of arrows for people to do a blind test. And what you found, which I thought was hilarious because Jake and I are driving in the vehicle and I said, I guarantee they're going to find it no human is going to get it right. That's right. And uh, Jake was like, you think? And I'm like, well, Jake, if you fire your bow against five, Jake's bow's quiet. Your bow's going to win. No, without a doubt, I don't think that could be arguable. His is that quiet. I'm like, but. What's he you, shoot? It's a Bob Lee. Okay. And, uh, um, and, and, and as I tried to explain this in my my eyes to, to, to Jake, and he was, you know, whatever, guy talking. I'm like, but if you grabbed five bows that are all real close, I would guarantee that one could be a, if one through five, five loudest, one silent, the quietest, if they're close enough, the first guy, you know, Aaron might vote a two for a, a wingard. And if I think you're going to shoot a different bow on the second shot, but you don't, that wingard might be a four right. on the second shot. That's exactly what That's exactly what happened. Found. Yeah. Right. Which I'm sure pissed everyone off or at least was like people like wow that's crazy you know and that can be what compound archery and, and it can happen too and i i encourage compound shooters to go have your buddy hide behind a tree and fire away now a deer's ear is different than human ears and you break it down you have decibel meters and all kinds of shit so right. kind of go into not necessarily just the well maybe the string silencer but how in depth you break these things up okay and, and i think to because I know you have a large audience that's compound. I think it's more critical to go deep into compounds because make sure you talk into that mic. You're talking, looking at me. There's le <laughs> there's less variation from compound to compound than there is from recurve to recurve. Yeah. So if there is a space for us, there's statistical significance and then there's practical significance. What I've learned is I have to show both. Otherwise, I, I just anger everybody. Yeah. In the compound world, there is a space for this to go deep because they're it's hard to buy a bad bow in the compound world quite frankly of the major manufacturers they'd, they'd be out of business right yeah. you might buy one that blows up you might buy one that's harder to shoot but you're going to buy a bow that you can shoot but i think you'd be surprised if you took all the new bows that were just released put them on the other side of a sheet and shot them how many people would be able to hear the difference if they're advertising a submetric that makes it greater so there's probably more space for for me to play in, in, in that world. But how I break things down, uh, I follow a process. It's the same process I would follow in the commercial industry. I find subject matter experts, which quite frankly, my, I told you I have no angles before the podcast. My angle is to, to get your phone number so I can use you as a subject matter expert. And I gather theories. So right, I told you I use Tim King a lot because he kills a lot of animals. Yep. I use people that have killed What's your definition of killed a lot of animals? We should probably define that because I get this a lot. A minimum of 100 in, right. in a short period of time. So when I say if you haven't shot 100 in a year or two or three, 
then you're yeah, and I'm good God, as I say that people that's not easy to do. That takes someone with a lot of time on their hands right. and but But we're defining an expert here. So what's an expert data? Right. They need to have a hundred animals on so, the ground. So the, those people I have found, they kill more large game than I do squirrels in a year, right? So they have a lot of experience, mm-hmm. right? So I go leverage them. I'm not leveraging my own theories. I don't I don't have uh, the experience to do that. So those are what I refer to as subject matter experts. And I gather their theories. And then I look on social media and I look where the average opinion has the most variance from the experts' theories. And that's where I try to go test. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned that I have to do, I've, I think I get a little bit better every time I do one. It's not enough for me to go run a designed experiment for me to set up decibel meters at the bow, 10 feet away, three feet high, and then I set one up at the target 20 yards. It's not enough for me to go, look, I can detect this arrow configuration 12 yards away versus seven yards away. I have to get the practical significance in and have people experience that and start showing that as well. Right. But what I do is I try to run a controlled test and what makes me different than anyone that's in my industry, what will make them different from a lot of people do broadhead tests here lately. Shooting one arrow and reporting out a result is not adding value in our community. You're, you're, you're actually, you're, you're driving a lot of non-value added in my mind. Or shooting one animal. Or shooting one animal. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, that, that lacks credibility and you're driving bad information. Mm-hmm. Shoot 20 to 50, depending on how much variation you have of those broadheads into a steel plate and see how many of them fail. Right. And, and then report out on the results. And we don't see that. Right. And my f- second study, I think, it was around veins, and everyone got hung up on five-inch veins. But what the real finding was was the arrow configuration was more significant in terms of success, meaning hitting what you're aiming, aiming at with good angle, than broadhead. Mm-hmm. And everyone missed that. So if there's anything that like the Ashby studies has proven to me is that people hear what they want to hear. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Well, I hear that every day. And you know, I, and again, what I see, and, and I, I'm going to say this one more time, just because I just came from the compound world. You, uh, bro science, you know, if you were going to define it, is uh, one person generally of, of importance or a sphere of influence has something bad, good, or whatever happen, um, and he states that to someone else. This is no testing, just of what single incident. It's a prime example of bro science. He tells a buddy, a buddy tells a buddy, and pretty soon that specific thing has become fact. Yes. Um, one of the biggest things I've I've um, I've noticed is mechanicals failing, which they do. Yeah, and um, the probability of failure goes up for sure. Uh, you know, is uh, definitely, but is uh, I lost the animal because of the the broadhead. They didn't find the arrow. They didn't find the deer. Dissecting that, you know, was it the broadhead? Now, again, then that became a way for if someone lost an animal to, to blame it on, which which increases the bro science. Absolutely. Um, that's not to say mechanicals don't fail. They do. Um, but <laughs> I've had good luck with mechanicals, you know, and, and so um, it also has to depend on the setup. It has to, There's a lot of variances. And so where I sit back and I hardly get online anymore because I just can't deal with it is um, one animal on the ground. Blood trail was amazing. All of those things I believe. But it's just one animal. And, right. and, it, and, and certain setups and certain things work until they don't. And even me today, as much as I've shot, I learn constantly. We just had a crisis level learning moment in Texas. Um, and, you know, so I try to get 15, 20, 30 animals on the ground with a specific setup. Like this year, I used 
a, a prototype iron wheels. Last year, I used more Valkyries and in other heads. Right. Is to be able to say at the end of the day, man, this is the most penetrating, and here's the downsides. Or veins, right? I used um, three five inch forever. I went to four four inch, and people were like, "Was it for stability?" And I said, "Actually, it was." Si- you were talking about it, noise, and I was like, "I can't tell a difference with no wind between four three inch, four four inch, three five inch." There's a little drop, obviously, but grouping, I can't tell a difference. Right. But I could tell a difference with noise, yeah. and and that is more important to me than anything. But trying to convince some of that is difficult. Yeah, you're think, running into that day by day. I run. Yeah, I get a lot of emails day by day on that. And what I try to show to people is that every decision we make, whether it's a compound, a longbow, whatever primitive, you're making trade-off decisions in archery, right? You want to run an expandable, a uh, mechanical broadhead, the probability of failure goes up, right? It and it's a trade-off. It's a stack-up tolerance, right? It's a trade-off that guaranteed that's going to happen. If you can tune your bow, you can probably shoot out to about 60. I know the last buck I shot with a compound was 63 yards with a stinger on it, but it was a tuned bow. Mm-hmm. And I think I told you yesterday, I've done a little bit of testing and playing with the compounds. Once you get above 280, everything changes. So, if you know, if you want to shoot that speed, the trade-off decision you make is oh, I've got to take some probability oh, chances yeah. on failure, right? So, I like to stay a little heavy in the arrow and stay low in the compound world. But I'm also not making, you know, I'm not having to go beyond 60 yards, because I, I hunt whitetail. And that's the other the other aspect that kind of distorts the average opinion online. And, and I'm guilty of this. I'm self-aware, so I pull people who, who don't have the same liability as I do. I've only killed whitetails. I've killed one elk in my life. It was with a 300-win mag, and it was 12 yards away right. in Canada. Um, I have only killed whitetail. I've been killing whitetail since I was a little kid. But that doesn't mean I've got the right configuration, whether it be compound or arrow configuration for a recurve or longbow for an elk or for a mule deer. And some of my studies have that bias. And Matt and Tim do a pretty good job of reminding me that because I keep going towards a heavier arrow, heavier arrow. Oh, believe me, I've, I've listened before and I've been like, ah, this guy's whitetail bias, not in a negative way, no, but you, yeah. you shoot them and that's yeah. what it is. And but the, the thing is, though, is, is even if, um, let, let's say, whatever, let's say you're, you're whitetail biased. Uh, guys out west, you know, they, they might need to be mule deer biased, right? And right. so what I try and do, or I try and help guys, and this is compound and, and stick, not rifle because I don't know shit about it, is bang for the buck, meaning, you know, as far as cost effectiveness to what you're getting, accuracy, the most well-rounded that you can you can get. I mean, there is no perfect setup for all things to me, but there is a, a perfect or, or, or as close as you can get to well-rounded for lower 48. It, you know, and, and again, if you type in online the what's the best, okay, out of that, it, it, truly, if you have 100 responses, probably 80 of those are a one-animal response or a no-animal right. response. 20 of those, probably half of those are a couple animals. And as you break it down, there's probably one true warrior of the group that actually has laid down a ton of animals. And when I have found that one guy, and, and there's actually a saying about as far as, you know, there's one warrior in the group, that one guy's probably going to say, you know what, man, this works really good for this. And he's not going to have a, he's no. going to tell you everything works for the right situation. He's right. not going to be as biased. Have you found that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, I, and I've also found, because we're talking about separating the wheat from the chaff in terms of information. Those guys 
won't argue with you. Yeah. So I've seen the number one ranked recurve archer uh, in the world give advice on a Facebook group, and, and people sh- like people just argue with him. Yeah. Because they don't know, and he's not going to argue with you. Yeah. He's not, he's not going to take the time. Yeah. So same guy that kills a lot of animals. If they tell you it's a good arrow and other people argue with them, and you, you can go through people's Facebook and say, oh, this guy's killed three deer in 15 years. Yeah. They're not going to argue. So you miss that information. Yeah. And, 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 and as people are listening in, not everybody has the time off. And, and I totally understand that because I get that comment like, hey, we don't all have your time off. And, hey, I, I get it, guys. I'm not, I'm not saying this on the sense of you should you know, get divorced four times and sell your house and live in a, you know, the hobbit hole. But what I am getting at as far as info is there's going to be certain people, whether it be financially or, or life choices, to get to hunt more right. or shoot tournaments. Right. Um, the, the, there's also the, the money equation in it, right? Like w- there's a lot of people sponsored. Um, and, and, and that sponsorship it's killing us. torques some – now, there's some guys sponsored by great companies. Doesn't matter. But – there's other people that are sponsored by maybe not so good companies because the almighty dollar, we all have to make a living. And so I got into an argument with a guy last night in a private message about something, and he brought up some well-known people. And I said, yeah, man, you got to read through that shit. I'm like, they're, they're, they're paid. Right. And they're- I said, so, you know, that's what, I, you know, well, they kill a lot of stuff. I'm like, yeah, a lot of those animals are a little more gimmies, though. I said, you're hunting public land, dude. And public land, um, and I, I use blood book land as a broad spectrum. You're hunting difficult animals that are very wise. They get shot at a lot. Even private land animals in Alabama, they get hunted five years or five months. Yeah, five months. Yeah, five months a year. Pretty fucking smart. It's night and day. You go to Kansas. Yeah, you're dumber than shit. That's that's where I'm hunting this year, right? So I'm moving from Southwest Michigan whitetail to Kansas. It's night and day the difference. Oh yeah, and so you know you take all those into consideration. And and my thing is just I'm coming from a construction background. My parents are broke as shit saving people money, you know, and people are like, how you save me money? You only use super high end gear. And I'm like, well, if you message me, I'm going to tell you, maybe you can't afford a, a Valkyrie. Maybe you can't afford an iron will. I'll tell you what you can't afford. That's right. Your best option in, in my opinion. I and, think, yeah, I think, I think the information that you give because you're not sp- sponsoring corrupts the, the majority of people have a lot of time to plan. One, you know, one hour a day, they're online gathering information, but they may have a week to hunt in a year. And they, there's a lot of information available, but the information that's not biased, and it's very difficult not to be biased. By, I mean, there's an entire science around me setting up designed experiments, so I don't evoke my own bias on that experiment. Which got to be difficult. It is very <laughs> difficult, right? So I have to fight through that myself, and I do it for a living. But for these folks, folks to be influenced by sponsored shooters – they could easily make the wrong choice, and it cost them those three days they have off to go do that great hunt. Yeah. And I, so I think it's important that if there's one skill set that, that we talk about here, it's separating the 5% good information from the 95% bad, and that's true across every subgroup of archery. The uh, Well, and, and the other thing, too, is uh, if you're not wasting money, your three-day hunt may be going into a five or seven because you didn't piss your way on way on money on gear. Now, there's nothing wrong with pissing away money on gear to, to test if that's what you're into. I mean, I make a, a living to designing new cool shit, right? I get to go use all kinds of stuff. But when I make jokes with my wife all the time, like life was so much easier or simpler when I had one pair of pants. Yeah. It's the only option I had. I had one pair of pants to go wear hunting. Now I've got 75 pairs of pants. I'm not, not complaining, 
but it's not as, as simple because there's a lot more going into it and testing and getting good info out to people. And right now we have an arrow in front of me that they're releasing tomorrow or the next day. Oh, is it that soon? $300 a dozen. Um, quite possibly the, 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 well, I wouldn't say possibly I've tested them. Um, the most durable arrow ever made, definitely one of the tightest tolerances. And then I have my other arrow, which is a black Eagle vintage, which is one of the cheapest arrows made. Right. The, the vintage is what I'm hunting with. Now I do get them free, right? But I get pretty much everything free. But when I had to pay for my bought flip black Eagle vintages. So why does a person of my I don't know, whatever you want to call it, stature. Why am I shooting Black Eagle vintages? I mean, I get them free. Why am I not shooting a pick one, whatever, right. deep impact or some it, an Easton, whatever, Axis, match grade, whatever Dudley's promoting. Pro, right, yeah, right. right. Well, okay, they have standard components. I'm lazy. I got tired of fucking with the skinnies, right? They're, right. Two, I had great luck with them, right? Three, it's what I would buy if I had to buy, if I had to go out and buy, in fairness to everybody listening. Four, I'm kind of an old school guy, so I like that, what would be considered a fat shaft now. But the biggest one that I wanted to see how much difference there was in penetration between a fat shaft and a skinny shaft applied on animals, not on, on targets, how much wind drift. At the end of the year, did I say, fuck, I screwed up? I, you know what I mean? And people are like why would you do that and i'm like well i don't know that is there three percent difference five percent there's there's not a there's a statistical difference and this is what people miss but there's not a practical i'll ask you and i've seen you get asked i actually it was the day before yesterday do you see a difference between 0.003 and 0.01 no do you know anybody and i've seen you shoot do you know anybody that can shoot the difference not in a recurve and no. in, a, in a compound if the spine is accurate no right no so you know I, I get that question a lot and people ask me to run the test well there's really no need to run that test yeah I, I, I just um, is there a mental edge to it yes I, I, I buy them because it when I'm at anchor when I talked to you about this yesterday yeah you go can't ahead. run a matrix on confidence right and if spending more money gives you confidence, fucking piss money away because that's important. Confidence is not quantifiable if that's even a word. But me running the – Randy and I talked about it, Randy with Black Eagle on a podcast, and he's like, dude, it's double the penetration. And I'm like, I haven't found that on an animal, but I agree that he found it to be double on a, a two-by-four. Right. Um, but on an animal – I haven't, it, there hasn't been anything where I've been like, Jesus, I need to shoot skinny shafts. Now, wind, I will say there is a, you can see, oh, yeah. you can see drift without a doubt. But as far as no wind, arrow hitting animal blowing out other side, there hasn't been a time where I've been like, holy cow, I wish I had a, a skinny. I also like the way those arrows look. But I can say though, if you go from a compound world and you're shooting a 246 and you go to a 166, you will definitely, without a doubt, at 80, 100, 60 yards, you are going to notice a ass ton of wind drift difference. And right. that can be proven in about two seconds. Like, that's super easy. But, you know, there's also skinny shafts. There's not too many affordable skinny shafts. There's lots of 246 affordable shafts. Right. And so when these guys come to me, I'm like, the first thing I ask is, what's your budget? And they'll tell me, I'm like, now, what's your real budget? Like you just told me probably the most you can get away with spending right. without your wife killing you. What's that budget if you aren't going to get in trouble at all? And it's usually half. And yeah. I'm like, 
all right, you need to go order this. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting that the, the conversation went this way. So first of all, before we get off the arrows, you know, one interesting thing I found when I was shooting, because I was running that big DOE and your veins were in there, the, the trad veins. It's odd, but fat shafts, because mm-hmm. I shoot everything untuned and tuned for mm-hmm. a study later yeah. where I can show the difference. Fat, if you shoot an untuned bow, mm-hmm. running standard size shafts is a good idea because that cross-sectional density oh, yeah, helps yeah, it recover yeah. faster. I couldn't believe I found I haven't released those yet, but there you go. That uh, makes more sense, though, yeah. as far as the what, they're, what you're saying is cross-sectional density is the distance in the middle of the area or the density in the middle of the arrow. Right. Well, and, and the things you also find out, um, you know, as you run down the wormhole of testing, not much with a compound. If you're zipping through animals at 10 yards with a stick bow, that generally shows you have pretty freaking good arrow flight because the arrow has not straightened yeah. out yet. Yeah, that's right. It and, needs and, time. And I was trying to explain that to guys. I'm like, at 18 to 24, your arrow sh- should have its shit taken care of. At 8 to 12, it's still figuring out what it wants to do in life. It's, yeah. it's still flexing. And what I have found is there are also other arrows. Some recover faster than others. Um, as far as when I say some recover faster than the others. Depending upon your tune, your point weight, release, when you have something imperfected in your shot, there's going to be certain arrows and setups that recover quicker than others. Now, that's redneck testing. Would you? No, I absolutely agree. And uh, just like you see aluminum is more spine tolerant, but to your point of being up close and tuning, that's more important than people realize. And I know you've made it acceptable uh, to, to run a raised rest. I've run a raised rest for years and been called, you know, every name in the book. But the advantage of a, the real advantage of a raised rest, that arrow will recover faster. You'll get a bigger, and you can do this in the backyard. Look at your angle of impact on your target. Oh, yeah. Yeah. At 10 yards versus 20. Yep. 20 is always better. Yep. You know, someone posted on my, this was the strangest shit. I didn't know if he was trying to be a smart ass or not. It was actually Big Stick Archery. The, he's a friend of mine. Yeah. It makes our, uh, he said, it's been noted that there is more lefts and rights with an elevated rest and that's a, a thing against them and i found the opposite you know why put, you know why they're experiencing that huh. they're moving they're putting on that stick on rest before or after their oh, pivot that, point that, and it creates torque that's let, that's what causes that let's talk about that real quick cuz people understand that for a compound about the same but for very 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 critical straight above the throat of your grip you have to have your pivot point, plus or minus a hair, right? Yeah. One of the worst bows I've ever shot that, I, and I'm not going to bring up the bow manufacturer, and it was off the shelf. Right. Um, and it would have been the same if I would have stuck the elevated rest. The pivot point was like an inch forward it, of my- It wrecks you. I fucking hit anything. And, and, <laughs> and, this, and this is critical for compounds because yeah. you'll see guys set up their micro rest off the pivot. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's- like, I, I was literally like, what the hell's wrong? With and Tracy Gullickson, the, I don't know if you saw some big guy over at Rocky Mountain, Tracy was the one that pointed it out. And I'm like, here when I thought I was learning what I was doing. And he's like, dude, that, because I, I was hitting like a paper plate at 20. And right. I'm like, what in the hell is going on? And so, for, you know, for me, that pivot point always, you know, I line it up with the throat. And the the lefts and rights are the reason I went to the elevator. Absolutely. I don't have high and low problems. It, it, it's, it probably shrunk by half my lefts and rights at 40. 20 was a little harder to tell, but right. but, but at 40, I mean, it was, I mean, I was like with feathers, veins, it didn't matter. And your arrow flight 
has improved drastically. Your angle of entry has improved drastically. And recovery. Right. You know, is, is, is the big thing. And so you got to figure when you're firing a 14 per second, 14 frame per second photo, or you're taking slow-mo video, when you're firing that many, you can watch your arrow flexing down range. Mm-hmm. And when you at eight yards have a marker, which I do, and you have one at six and, and 10, if you're watching that arrow and it's bent in half, at six, and then the next arrow is almost recovered, right? Um, it's either the shooter or the uh, or the setup, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's one or the other, and then you can really dissect things. And this is where I get shit from some of the older school trad guys is dissecting too much. I get the whole grip it and rip it thing. I understand it, but my brain doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And the fallacy in because I I don't I'm one of the trad shooters that I love compound shooters. I don't mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not anti compound. My com, my Matthews stays tuned all the time and I'm ready to go in case and you're gonna you're not you're gonna not get opportunities. I'm I'm hunting a bigger buck right now in Kansas that I could have I could have taken had I had my compounds. It's just something you have to live with. But the compound guys, when they come over to trad, they're taught because people regress to the mean, the average opinion mm-hmm. is to do it the hardest way possible. Yeah. Trad is to shoot it off the shelf, a short bow, you know, 55 pounds, because they're usually worried about penetration. And and they pick the hardest way possible to learn. And then they're taught to aim by throwing a baseball, that yeah. analogy. All I'm offering people, and I think that's that's what I want to do too. Jesus, that's all our that's our dream to go, you know, be able to shoot like that. Like Robin Hood. Yeah. What that's that's all <laughs> what we want to do, right? I agree with that. That dream is great, but the path, the fastest path to get there is to start with the most forgiving bow possible with a raised rest and the right arrow configuration and then work your way to that. Yeah, and potentially a, a clicker. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm going click. Uh, I actually, and this is where hunting helps me, uh, you know, shooting competition, the clickers, because I have to stay in certain classifications, right. uh, hasn't been a big deal. This year hunting with, a, I shoot a modern recurve, a metal bow. Yeah. I didn't realize, I put a clicker on, a buddy of mine put a clicker on and, I didn't realize how much variation I have in my draw, especially out of a tree stand when you're making your cuts. Fucking it's horrible. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's like unbelievable. Half inch. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's absolutely we were standing on a line. I had a half inch. Yeah. So I'm moving I don't care what class it is, I'm moving to it. <laughs> but I can't do it right now because it wrecks my brain, right? Yeah. Trying to get through it. I'm gonna have to do I'm gonna have to build that up in the off season. But yeah, that's Well it it in here. I, I I get it for those listening in that are throwing shit at the microphone right now that, that <laughs> hey, if you want to be total trad um, or whatever, like you want to wear a fedora and a, you know, whatever leather back quiver and all that shit, that's awesome. I just don't push your opinion on newcomers because that's one thing I found as I made this switch was, um, you know, I shot a bow with no soul and what, you know, two year expert and all kinds of horrible shit flying at me. And, uh, which whatever I'm sure I'm de- was deserving of a bunch of it, but I, I, I trying to get it's a hard sell to begin with. Hey, get ready your wheels and your sight and your dial and your draw stops, your peep sight and drop away rest and grab this piece of wood and you're probably not going to hit shit for a while. Good luck. Yeah, right. But if you can say, hey, you know what? Within reason, you're going to be able to hit a paper plate and this, you know, whether it be elevated rest or clicker or whatever they're comfortable with at the time, they can choose to bridge down or or they can bridge up and if they start the right way it's a lot easier to bridge down absolutely than it is to bridge up because i know many many of the old crowd that have to close their eyes 
to hold their hand to their face. They can't, they can't hold it. And then I have old guys, my buddy Lander gives me shit all the time. He calls me click boom because of the, the clicker and uh, right. gives me shit for holding for three to five seconds. And I'm like, I don't know, Lander, it seems to be working. Was, right? that, I mean, <laughs> that's that's kind of where, where I go now because I get a lot of, I, I get a lot of, I, I get a lot of positive stuff and I'm sure you get, you know, a lot of negative stuff as well. I just invite people to come shoot. Let's go see how you shoot. Yeah. Cause I go to ETAR, I go to Compton's, I go to these events and I watch people shoot and I actually record how they shoot. And, um, there, there's a lot of room for, for improvement. And the way to get people to stay into archery is to, to teach them a, a faster path to be successful. And really right now, Aaron, if you think about it, if you go online, there are several, groups that act as like a citadel of arrested development. Like there's so many places for a person to go that wants to just shoot wood and mm. do it the hard way. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's very few places to go to go, Hey, how do I start this in the easiest way possible and mm -hmm. sort through all of this and work my way to that progression of, of shooting a wood bow? Cause I think that's the ultimate badge of, you know, honor. If there is one is, Hey, I can shoot a, a off the shelf. I can shoot well. And this whole struggle stick, debate that goes on online the only thing that i i don't mind people hacking on me because i shoot a modern bow yeah i for some reason it bothers me and it shouldn't and i definitely shouldn't be talking about it on this audience but it's when people say they can shoot the hard way well and then they actually they haven't earned that badge yeah because it takes thousands and thousands and thousands of arrows to earn that badge so for some reason i'll every now and then i'll get edgy with those people yeah and i i can totally see that and i Again, I get, I've got a, you know, a, a great, an awesome following of, of, of good responses. And then I get, there's one guy, um, I can't remember his name. Uh, he, he, he hates me. I think he's from Arkansas. Um, he sticks out in my mind because he purposefully would, would search me out on any post and, and argue. And he'd say, I'm only doing this for the money. And I'm like, there's no money in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think I dropped? What do you think I'd lose, you know, going from a compound to a stick, you know, right. $70,000, $80,000 a year? And I'm like, really? You know, I'm doing it for the money. And, and honestly, I want to just beat the shit out of him. I hope you're listening because that's going to happen when I run into you. But um, Your face is actually getting red. Yeah. <laughs> for people that aren't in the room that might get lashed out upon, um, well, and <laughs> his composure is changing as we speak. Well, what, what I love a debate. I like to talk. I think that's great. What I do not like is blind bias to be a problem. And that's why I'm turning red is I'm sitting here trying to help people or, or get, you know, get guys into traditional archery. See what I saw. I was the dickhead shooting 130 yards at animals and, and like, man, this is awesome and it can be very accurate. Um, that kind of stuff bugs me and there's a lot of that, but there's also, like you said, the, the rested development. There's, there's that mecca of a place that you go hang out to get info, and the info may not be be good. Um, and not I'm not good. I'm not saying everything I do is peachy keen and, and everything else, but if you get down to like if you get rid of all the bullshit, you're going from a compound to a stick, which this is every day in my life. People get a hold of me. The best thing you can do is is don't overbow yourself and all those things, but. Get an elevated rest on, and if you want to shoot off the shelf, that's fine. But get a you know bare weather rest, sticky rest, whatever it is, a, a plunger rest. Get a clicker on. Get your draw length figured out. Get consistent, and all of those things. And let's say that takes six months to a year, right? Um, which it's going to take six months to a year. Um, where you're super confident in that, and you're hitting good, and then 
you've written the first few chapters in your book and your next few chapters you may bridge down. You may get rid of the clicker. That's great. You may get rid of the elevated rest. But if you start off with an elevated rest and improperly tuned arrows and an improper draw length and not a consistent draw length, you're probably going to go back to the compound. Right. And this is where I'm ripping the hair out I don't have is we're trying to get people to shoot a recurve. And the crowd that's against what we're talking about says they want to get people into traditional archery, but to keep them to keep them in, there's going to have to have some level of success and improvement. And that's not going to happen just gripping it and ripping it and hoping for the best. Right, because people will – because really what we're trying to do when you say shoot a recurve, if you go a, de- a level deeper, it's to stay motivated hunting. Yeah. yeah, and, and yeah. I think I told you about my BB King buck, right? My biggest yeah. <laughs> buck of my life in Iowa, and I shot it. And I, I, this was the last buck I shot was a compound. I'm like, God, man, it's it just not. Is it, I used to be. I used to be the guy because I'm not. I'm not the cool kid, right? I'd shoot a big buck and turn around and have to hold onto the tree to keep from falling out. Yeah, <laughs> and I and I lost all of that, and that's when I told you I transitioned. And and we want people to stay motivated to go hunting and and keep that. I think you call it a typewriter leg, but yeah, I had sh- that shit last week. You go shoot. Oh yeah, <laughs> you go shoot a, a mature doe with a recurve. You're gonna. It's almost life changing. It is. Yeah. It, it, and I just want people to experience that, and they're not gonna do it by buying a 65 pound straight stick with no deflex off the shelf when they realize they can't hit anything. They're just gonna. Yeah. They're going like to ditch it and they're going to go back. Your kid will be saying, my dad had a recurve. Here it is. And, right. You know, it's in the garage or whatever. Right. Well, and, you know, for for those, you know, that, that are listening, that are thinking about swapping over, nothing says you have to do what I did. I sold everything. You know, I'm committed like that. I sold all my compounds and went straight over. But That's crazy. Yes. It was very stupid. Um, but when you when you go to make that, that conversion over, you know, once you get um, – you know, whether you buy an expensive bow or a Samick Sage and you start shooting, the the thing that I found is, is when I'm kind of just adding to what you said, is my even though I started shooting a stick because of all the old farts emailing me telling me I suck as a hunter and I'm using technology as a, a crutch, I got addicted to it. I got addicted to getting close. Where right. before that badge of honor was I hit that bucket 104. And and I, I hate to say there is a, a long-distance badge of honor oh, yeah, in a yeah. group. And now, and Tom Clum said this would happen, now my badge of honor is, dude, I shot that thing at nine feet. And, and getting closer, and it, that doesn't mean I won't shoot one at 40. I'm just saying it is cool to get closer. Right. It's very addictive. I would have a compound sit in a box for three weeks and wouldn't put it together. Right. Rewind 10 years, I would skip work and say I was sick to put my compound together. Then it got to a point is I just lost the love for it. With a stick, it's hard to lose the drive because you have to practice all the time. You don't with a compound. It's a diminishing skill. Oh, right? Christ. If it's, it's like math, right? And it's going to go away. Yeah. So the, and, the only th- and the only thing I don't hear people talk about, if, if you are crossing over, it's you'll learn to shoot. You'll learn, it's not very difficult. If you get the right coaching, you know, you go online, you get the, you know, you, you reach out to Clum or a Jenkins class. There's several good clinics out there. You can get 10, 15, 20 yards accurate. I think, and Jeff Hill, a friend of mine, and I were just discussing this. I think we get busted. I think people shoot at deer that are looking at them with recurves. Yeah, that's bad. It's really bad. And I, and it's very, the biggest disadvantage isn't accuracy. With a compound, you can draw back and hold for a long time and wait for the right opportunity. You have to set up your stands differently so that you, you know, all right, where's this thing coming in at? I have to draw while it's behind this tree or this bush. 
But I, I think a lot of folks get busted drawing, and then they're standing there with a mature animal looking at them, and they, and they try to make that shot, and you get that moving animal that creates all types of variables and noise. Yep. And so that's, for the conversion folks, that's the biggest key is learning when to draw and getting a draw weight low enough that you can draw and hold and yep. still break a clean shot. No, and and, and, and and that buck that I just was after that, I ended up killing a real big buck, but not the one I was after. And I had him facing me, not totally facing me, broadside looking at me twice at 36 and 38. If he was bedded, I would have shot. But he would have been, he probably would have smoked a cigarette and ate a sandwich by the time my arrow got there because he may not have been looking at me, but he was looking towards me. So he's looking at something. So he was he was ready. You he know? knew and, he knew something was going on. And, and you know that's just honey. You're gonna learn when when to hold them, when to fold them. But um, you know, and I not to dive off this specific subject, but um, Rob Patuto, who's a buddy of mine with the Stickbow Chronicles, he is. There's things you've said that he doesn't agree with, and he and I've talked about that. And I've talked to you, and you're like, you know, my thing is basically just getting people the info for them to choose, right? If if they choose not to use it, they choose not to use yeah, it. Yeah. And, but if they choose to use it, then to make them better or 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 potentially give them more confidence or whatever, uh, because you do get um, you get guys that aren't going to just change, right? They're just, no, they're just not. No. Um, you know, in in the case of, um, you know, for for you know, some of the guys, the clicker, right? It's, it's an antichrist. It's the worst thing for traditional archery. It's not traditional. Yeah. Put wheels on your bow. And then I, those guys I'm, have never shot a compound apparently. Yeah. It is still really hard to shoot a recurve. I do get a kick out of it, but I'm like, okay, I've read, you know, I read quite a bit of audio books. The Romans used, you can read about it where they drew their broadhead to their finger. And that was a clicker, mm -hmm. which is obviously Quite a while ago, well before the compound. Um, and, and, it's and trad. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so I'm like, um, you know, for me with the clicker, if you shoot, you like it or not, I get it, but don't impose your will so much on someone to shame them out of a clicker um, that may get them out of traditional archery. That's, and that's exactly what happened. That's all I'm trying to – that's a really good way of putting what I'm trying to do. So all of these tests, and I've probably – and I've admitted this – I've probably been throwing fuel on the wrong fire. These tests were meant to get people to find that easier path, yeah. not to get people to geek out on gear. Yeah. Because actually, I get emails, what should I buy? The first thing I ask now, yeah. what kind of clothes do you have? Yeah. What kind of glass do you have? Yeah. Because I can get you in a $400 riser and limbs that, that 20 yards and in, you can, you can kill some deer with yeah. all day long. But if you're freezing to death and you're not going to stay out there, yeah, it, it's really worthless. So and nobody wants I don't think anybody has taken my advice, but that's the best advice I can give. Right. It would, you start asking about what their other gear is. Everyone wants to spend their money on a fourteen hundred dollar exotic wood bow. And I love them. I have a lot of them. But I, this is the first year I've had full uh, Sitka gear. I've, yeah. You know, I started with my outer. Now I have my I have I can't believe how much warmer I'm like, I should have spent my money on this long ago instead of. You know, 37 well, bows. It's, it's funny because Jake, not to pimp out Sitka too much, but Jake is was not anti-Sitka, but certainly not pro-Sitka. And so I have this giant duffel of, of Sitka when we – and it was cold as shit in North Texas. And, I, you know, I'm like, dude, wear that. I'm like, sure, give it a try. And he every day be like, fuck, I'm going to end up spending some money, aren't I? And I'm like, yeah. dude, there's some of the stuff they make you probably don't need. But some of their stuff is, is a game-changing event. I mean, it is. It is. It is. It's fair to say that it's a game. I mean, I'm old enough to remember 
putting your feet in bread sacks. Just, yeah, I mean, to warm one up. Yeah, yeah clothes yeah. have come a long way. And it, I think I hunted in Iowa. I think it was 15 or 18 below. And I had that incinerator, bib and parka. Yeah. That's a game changer. Yeah, you can't do it without it. You can't it. do well, that without it. Some type of – the thing with them is it's still quiet. You're still semi-mobile. Um, you know, what? I, and it's, it, the noise is the big one. You can stay as warm in other shit. You may weigh 150 extra pounds. Right. You know, you may be bulky, but – yeah, it's pretty it's, crazy. You know, it it is. It's a that's that's where you spend your money, and that's where unfortunately it is expensive. Yeah, but I, I just this year I got the the mid layers as well, so I always have a problem being sweaty when I get to the stand. Yeah, that's not as big of a deal right now. Yeah, and I'm I'm noticing that as I'm I'm hunting out in Kansas, but and then uh, Greg introduced me to the Zeiss binoculars. Yeah, well, this year I'm able to. I was literally able to get up in a ladder stand and glass. Yeah, before they're cut. before the light was up, and I can see where the buck is that I'm looking for oh, and make my like, decision. It's almost like night vision. It is. It is yeah. well before light, and uh, it's that's a big advantage. And I I know people are going to bash my teeth out for for promoting an expensive glass, but what's well, funny? The buck I just shot, Jake didn't have his binos out there in his pack, and he's pointing to my chest, pointing to himself because the buck's so close but i was too much of a chicken to risk the noise of right pulling them out but it was legal shooting light according to the you know the the the, the graph or the the chart right the first time i drew back and i'm like i can't see shit because that mesh was up right and he's like well you know he just said wait it'll you know it shouldn't go anywhere or whatever and he was wanting my binoculars because you can see probably twice, three, four times as good in low light with those binoculars than you can with the human eye. That's in legal shooting light. I think you got light at 712, something, you know, and it was like 650. Like we were put 10 minutes into legal shooting light and I barely could see the damn animal. So yeah, I can't remember the, the uh, I had victory and I went to SF. Is that what it is? Is that right? Well, but there's the victory SF. There's the, you probably had the conquest. I had the conquest yeah. went to, and it's night and day. The difference. Oh, yeah. It, it definitely is. Um, you know, and, and while we're talking about high-end gear, people do ask me, I'm going to sell all my compound stuff and go to a, a traditional bow. And I'm like, man, are you sure you've, you're have you ready for that commitment? And, uh, you know, generally I'm like, hey, maybe get a Samick Sage or, or whatever, you know, what, a $200 recurve, make sure you like it. Some people, myself included, their brains don't work that way i'm not capable of doing something halfway and so i'm like are you sure well in in life you normally get what you pay for yeah and that does not apply and if you i mean i don't get paid for my website i'm not plugging it but there you can see speeds you can see sound and you can see draw force there's no reason to pay more than 400 dollars for a pair of limbs yeah if you look at the metrics right gotcha so I usually, I'm saying yeah not that i knew that i'm saying yeah that i'm gonna go look but go ahead yeah so uh, i mean when people ask, because the Samick Sage is the number one for a wood bow that people always recommend, and it's a great bow, uh, uh, I, I would always say that. But what I always recommend to people is don't go buy the Black Widow first. Yeah. Definitely buy a Black Widow. I like. I have a lot of Black Widows, and they're never going to leave me. But get a metal bow, and people, that's not what they want to do. I get that. They're not getting into trad to shoot a metal bow. But then you can play with six different grips. Yeah. You can adjust your tiller. You'll know how to tell that custom bowyer how to build your bow. Yeah. If you spend some time with that cheaper metal bow that you can adjust. Yep. Because and as your form develops, your tiller requirements change. Yeah. And your grip Pound, requirements change. Poundage is going to change too. Poundage yeah. is going to change drastically. And if you start with that metal bow, and I know it's soulless, and you're probably going to lose 
I'm going to get a lot of hate mail. Maybe we shouldn't give out my email for this, but <laughs> but people hate metal bows, but my God, they, they offer so much flexibility and change at a low cost. You can put some money in some $400 limbs and you're faster than the most expensive wood bow. Yeah. And yeah, that, that I give advice somewhat like that. My thing is, uh, because most of the guys that I'm talking about now uh, are the ones that don't want to buy the Samick Sage or a metal bow. As I'm like, you're going to have to. They want to go high end. And they'll go down to Black Widow. They'll fly down there. Oh, yeah. Or they'll drive to their local boy or whoever that, you know, Wingert or whoever if they're Montana. And figure out the grip and they'll they'll buy 40-pound sets of limbs knowing in three months they're going to need 50s or whatever. That's good, yep. And they'll use those for trainers. This is what I'm telling them. Use your first set as a trainer later so get a pretty light set. Um, the, the problem is when you're writing your book on – your own personal book on traditional archery, if you read through the chapters from beginning to end, one of those chapters may be a fairly drastic change, which means you might end up liking a longbow. Or, or you, you know, there may be something in there that you just didn't flat out know, and it, it's it it takes a while to figure out what you want or 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 like, and and it seems to me some of it is their own perception when it starts. Like yes. they want to be a Denny Sturgis, they want a longbow. I knew from the beginning I didn't want a longbow. Longbows and, are harder to shoot. Yeah, the physics of the bow, they have less deflex, less mass, and. Everybody wants to shoot a longbow, but it's the heart. And that's a badge of honor when you can be like Denny and you can shoot a longbow and kill a lot of animals with them. But he earned that over the years. I have no ambition to shoot a longbow whatsoever no. or a self bow. Um, I get that message a lot to uh, Clay uh, Hayes. Hayes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Clay, you know, he, I mean, here's the thing I've already handicapped myself from, um, uh, from a maximum effective range of 120 to 20 to 30. Right. Uh, in, in the right situation. You're right. It's, um, it's a lot closer than that when, yeah, when they're it, twitching. And, and, oh, yeah, exactly. And then uh, there's nothing wrong with shooting a, a self-bow. But um, in, in my own uh, in, admittance here, I like to eat a lot of wild game. And that amount in my freezer may go down with a self-bow. You can say, well, if you're a good enough hunter, it wouldn't. Well, then I'm not a good enough hunter. I'm going to keep shooting recurve. Um, I, you know, hey, whatever, right? I just – I'm not in a state like Clay is. He doesn't hit it with a – the stick bow, he can shoot with a gun. We okay. don't have that in Colorado. Yeah. I also, you know, when I go on these different hunts or whatever, um, while Kafaro's helping out, I'm not really wanting to take a self bow um, on a, you know, pick whatever Alberta mule deer hunt. Right. And it, if that's the path you want to walk, man, rub some funk on it, head down that path. It is not my path. Um, it, it's just not. I, I have no ambition to make my own bow. I, I don't. I no. mean, some people do. And my hat's off to the people that are good at it. And there are some people that are really good at shooting those. I, I think Clay's. I've never shot with him. I think he's a fairly decent shot. Yeah, I don't know. I don't never shot with him. But, uh, you know, at IBO Worlds, they have a self-bow class. Yeah. I, mean, I tip my hats to those guys. They're, they're putting in the time and the effort. But for those five guys that can do it and hammer it, yeah. there's – 400 talking online like they can as well. 400,000. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and someone new will come in and go, what should I get? Oh, get a longbow out of Osage and make it yourself. Yeah, let's pick the hardest path possible. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and from I don't want to shoot wood arrows either. Um, they have no ambition. I shoot some wood. I still and, do. And, uh, and, and, and there's a few guys I know that, that do. I like making them. I don't have the brain power at first because I just have never messed with the spines of wood arrows. I'm sure I could figure it out. Yeah. 
Two, I shoot so much, they don't seem to be overly durable. Um, yeah, they don't. They yeah. Break. So that's a lot of fletching, right? I just fletched up seven dozen arrows. Between testing and hunting, I guarantee that's not going to last that long. And when I say testing, I don't think people realize the depth of testing when you talk about durability tests. It's a dozen the first day to do it effectively. Right. Um, yeah. And when I say effectively, a lot of different angle impacts, a lot of different variables you have to look for. Well, I don't want to do that with wood. Um, no, they'll break constantly. Yeah, the, the confidence intervals required to run, I've seen, because I look at the testing that's out there. If you if you wanted to compare broadheads, it would take thousands and thousands of shots, yeah. not one at a steel plate. And my study on the veins showed that with a well-tuned bow, especially under 280 feet per second, broadhead's not the most significant variable. Yeah. And that's a DOE I can replicate. I always tell people this because bowyers get mad at me. I can replicate my work in a courtroom if you like. Yeah. To yeah. Come at me, right? Yeah. I don't care. So if you have people that are saying that one broadhead's more accurate than another, their bow's not tuned or they're shooting above 280 feet per second because yeah. that, that, that does play into it. Yeah. But um, I've seen a lot of really bad information out there that people are getting funded for, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, people need to be self-aware of that. Like, oh, I'm dealing with a broadhead salesman here, not an archer. Well, there was just uh, well, I'll just say it and they can call me if they don't like it. Born and Raised Outdoors did a broadhead test study. One of the, the broadhead that won the test was the only one that broke. Um, I find that comical, the one that, that was- Oh, the one in, that broke one? Is yeah, that right? Yeah, the durability test, who they work with, but whatever. And then when they did their accuracy test, their, their test median arrow wouldn't group with the other arrows out of a shooting machine. Well, what, what are you proving there? If you can't get it to group- no, then that's it a wasn't. mess. Yeah. It's, Your it's baseline's a, off. And those guys are awesome, and they do great work, and I love their show and, and everything, but when you're- when you truly test, I'll give you an example. Um, when, you, when you're truly testing broadheads, you've got durability, you've got accuracy, consistency. Do they rust? Do they not rust? Do they stay sharp? Do they stay sharp? How easy are they, are they to sharpen? Yeah. Once you get through all that bullshit, then you actually have to shoot animals with right. it. Which is a fucking bigger problem because a you, much can con- bigger yeah. problem. <laughs> you can control everything else. <laughs> yeah. And so then once you're, you're – and that Jake and I just had this happen, but – You've got, let's say you shoot three broadside perfect. You didn't really learn a lot from, no. from that test. Okay, but you don't want to purposefully shoot something in the ass for the greater good of testing. Right. And so that takes a long, it's taken Jake and I three years for this one that we're about to do. And, and the bottom line of it is a good quality broadhead is a good quality broadhead. And it will win a specific section of the test, meaning the grass basket test. What broadhead do you want when you hit the stomach? What do you want? Do you want a little, uh, you know, single bevel inch and a sixteenth? Right, no. Do you want a Simmons tree shark that's two inches right. wide? Yeah, if you're making a bad shot. Yeah. <laughs> but then, so there's a lot of variables to that to that test and it takes a long time. Well, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, it does take a long time. And, and we're collecting data now. And there's so many variables. We call it noise in an experiment. So many variables you don't control. Like people put... A broadhead's job is really simple. Did it stay together? Did it stay sharp? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That blood trail is, I mean, I only have right now in my own database probably 15 data points. Mm-hmm. I don't need many more to tell you the blood trail is completely unreliable. Oh, you have, would need thousands and thousands and thousands of data points to be able to put any kind of you, correlation. Have you ever heard a concrete guy say, I can guarantee you two things, it'll crack and it's heavy? <laughs> That's with the broadhead. I can guarantee right. you two things. You cannot predict what that will do. No. I just shot a buck. 12 yards through the heart, both lungs. It didn't bleed for 40. It died in 68. Right. 
was that a bad broadhead? Right? Was that I didn't get any blood out of the gate? But that's where people put all their superstition, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. It's it's superstition. Yeah. Well, and I will say you will get more blood from, you know, bigger cut. Of course. More blood. But what I also will say is I've seen very effective three blades in certain situations not bleed, right? Shit shifts, right? Holes get covered, you know, and there's nothing you can do about that. The other thing is when you test in Ashby's case, when you test test something dead, that skews, and nothing against Ashby, his testing is, is I mean, he, he learned a ton, but. This is extremely relevant, what you're, what you're I, yeah. When an animal shifts, the muscle, the fascia, the everything that happens, the tail slap totally changes the game, whether it be light arrow, heavy arrow, FOC, it doesn't matter. Your test median has totally shifted to something that is uncontrollable. And, right. and Jake just hit a buck that he pinwheeled, totally stopped the arrow because that buck shifted so hard. Right. And that arrow tail flipped. You're trying to shove six inches of arrow broadside through the through the deer at that point. Right? Oh, and, it, and, 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 and it, he, I mean, that changed him. He's switching shit. But the thing was, is if you would have on a bet watched that arrow hit, found that deer. You'd have said, yeah. How the hell did it not die? Right. right. Quickly anyway. You know what I mean? It died. But um, those are the kind of things where guys are like, I shot a buck last year and I did this and it pivoted. I'll never shoot that broadhead again. And I'm like, well, you shot 14 animals right. before that and right. you loved it off of one the, data the, point. The, and they'll put it all on the broadhead. And, and the broadhead statistically has less to do as long as it, it's sharp. As long as it's sharp and durable yeah, and does its aims, job, yeah. right? It, it has less to do with success than the rest of the arrow yeah. in terms of hitting what you're aiming. And people, when I say people hear what they want to hear, out of that study was 500 rows of data. People talked about five-inch veins. I'm like, that's so much less of a story than the fact that broadhead doesn't matter because I was shooting a stinger versus a grizzly. You couldn't have asked for more opposing designs. Yeah, yeah. And it, that didn't matter. Yeah. And at one point, I used the wrong damn broadhead because I was running two designs at the same time. Yeah. And I threw it in there, and 40 grains of weight didn't matter. Yeah. So yeah. everyone ignored that, and they focused on the veins. That's, but, pretty, uh, that's pretty funny. Well, and I will say there's, there's some common sense involved here, people. So if you're shooting an inch and a 16th head compared to a 2-inch, the inch and a 16th is going to penetrate more. Of the course. The 2-inch is going to bleed more. We're not saying, all oh, fucking broadheads are equal. They're not. But – what I what I what I will say my own you know findings is the three to one ratio you know broadhead or whatever you know that's going to penetrate more than some super wide broadhead, but it also has to that should have to do with your decision making in your your broadhead. Yeah, it's the trade off decisions you're going to make, right? Yeah, I like I like three to one ratios, mm -hmm. uh, but um, the problem that I. I, it just depends on how much energy you're putting out and how much momentum you're putting out. And there's no real answer, real good answer there to, to give people. I, I just try to give them a threshold for arrow weight. But the key is pull your – whatever you're shooting this year, shoot your animal, pick up your arrow and try to shave your arm after you shoot your animal. The problem is, and this isn't as much so in the compound world as it is the trad world. Yeah. The majority of broadheads in the trad world will roll a bevel. And people say, well, that must have happened in the dirt. Well, how the hell do I know that? Yeah. Actually, if you look at, if you do any kind of edge retention, bro science is cool. Go cut, go cut some hides you have. Those things dull on hair. Mm -hmm. Where did it get dull, right? And how would it perform versus a higher end steel, which is sharp on the other end? Right. So really, that's the most important job to me. It's stay together, A, because it's, you can run a pokey thing through lungs and kill it. 
Yeah. Yep. And and two, uh, and I told you, yeah, we have a friend. We're trying to run a minimum study. He's running thirty five pound. Uh, Jeff's running thirty five pound limbs, perfectly tuned recurve. He can hit what he's aiming at, and he's putting it through the lungs, and he's killing deer. Yeah. Now, to your point, if shit happens, he's in trouble. Yeah. But he can hit what he's aiming at, and that's the most important factor. And the fact that that broadhead's staying sharp. Yep. So, um, you know, I'm running iron wheels this year, and, you know, people give me a – actually, people call me out on if you look at the, the post I made and I had an iron wheel. They don't like – they called me an elitist for using an iron wheel. The reason I'm running iron wheel this year, because I tried to – because I am superstitious as well. I tried to kill as many animals as I could with one broadhead. The highest I've gotten is three before it starts bending. I believe the economical choice on this iron wheel will be a better one because I think I'll be able to kill multiple animals with one broadhead. You're spending more money, but that broadhead's not going to bend as easy as, you know, a Zwicky or, you know, some of these other, some it'll, of these it, other heads. It'll, it'll eventually dull before an iron wheel specifically before yeah. it bends. And yeah. you can sharpen it, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I can sharpen them. So there's the Walmart study where Walmart came out and said, Hey, you'll, sp- you'll save $5,000 a year by shopping at Walmart. There's another collegiate study, a white paper that came out and said, actually, a family's going to lose almost twice that over a five-year period because they're constantly replacing the junk that they're buying. Yep. And, and I, I, this is funny as we're talking, because this has to do with compounds too. The, the Walmart study would be my own personal Walmart study, not what you're talking about. The Walmart study, we're going to bring up muzzy aluminum ferrule four blade. What were they? 85 grains or right. 90 grains. Um, that's a one animal broadhead usually. Um, aluminum, the ferrule's going to bend. I think they were 35, 38 bucks when I, you know, back in the day for right. six. I totally get it. If that's what you can afford, then that's what you, run know, it. you got to run it. What I'm finding out now is, and I won't be totally iron will biased, although I've been working with just because on this prototype head, but the iron will uh, head, the Valkyrie head, um, VPAs, uh, cutthroats, some are high carbon steel. There's a A2, two, uh, you know, tool steel or whatever. Is when you're going through the animal, uh, God, I'm going to piss a lot of people off. I'm just going to list how I figured this out. And it wasn't exact. Through the course of a year, well, no, two years, I kept every broadhead I had, everyone. Okay. Whether it broke in practice, it broke in an animal, it went through an animal. I didn't use a broadhead very many times twice through an animal. Some of them I did. Um, as time went on, I have these containers. If you come to my house, you'll laugh your ass off. There's piles of bloody broadheads. There's piles of dirty broadheads. All of those broadheads have kind of a mean media or a, a test of shootable, dull, and totally fucked, right? So there's the grizzlies. Aluminum ferrule. When I say grizzlies, the yeah, 440C I, aluminum ferrule. I know exactly. That's what Mas- I was running in Iowa. Yeah. Masai's, XXLs, all those heads. There's VPAs. Right. High carbon steel, three blades. Uh, well, three blades. Cutthroats, uh, werewolves, Valkyries, Iron Wills, Day 6 Evos, um, that other red Maasai-looking thing uh, that I can't remember. A vast amount of all these heads. The Maasai, is that the Alaska? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Mm, the totally fucked category doesn't necessarily mean cheap because grizzlies are expensive. Are all aluminum, cheap steel. Every... Almost to a T, every high end can be fixed. Now, may not be in my capability, meaning I'm not good at sharpening broadheads. Every high end head is still shootable, still spins true. Right. 
every low end head is fucked. And I mean like a football bat. Yep. And so there's something to be said if you find it. Oh my God. You're um, going to get some hate mail. <laughs> well, so, but it, it's, I'm, 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 you saw the slow motion spinning I did on, on, yeah, 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 they those things were spinning crooked. Yeah, and that matters. Oh, it does matter because I flex them, you know, and and I'm not I'm not bashing any company. I am stating what I saw, and if you if you would like, and I can partner up with Cody. Anyone that disagrees with what I have to say, send me a shit ton of broadheads, and we will film everything and no edit on impact. I guarantee I can take a cutthroat. Uh, Valkyrie, an iron will, and I can fire it into a, let's just for a hypothetical, a miss. I'm going to stand on my roof and I'm going to fire it in the dirt. Right. We'll have to, you know, get it pretty close, but I guarantee after three shots in the dirt, and I, when I say guarantee, almost to a hundred percent close, all the high end heads just need to be washed off. Right. All the low-end heads will be bent, broken, chinked, fucked up in some way, shape, form, or fashion beyond repair. Right. I will prove that all day long and would be my pleasure to do so because I've had people get mad at me when I've said, well, it's kind of a disposable head. Like a mechanical. Right. Mechanical smeared disposable head. Trash it, right. Um, now, is it in my capability to sharpen them? No, probably not. Some right. of them. I can sharpen a VPA like a motherfucker. It's real easy. I just right, you just lay it on there and slide it back and forth, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, but I mean- it's true, though. It's absolutely <laughs> true. And I was shocked. And I have to, the only reason I'm aware of this, because I haven't done a lot of broadhead testing, I do flight testing. Mm-hmm. I noticed that if a broadhead was off, and this surprised me, I know on a compound, if you can't get a true spin, you're hosed. Yeah. But even a recurve, it shows up, especially if there's wind and it's trying to correct. I, I tell you what, the wider and the farther. And now if you can't hit a bull in the ass with a base fiddle, your test is going to suck. Right. At 40, if I can keep it in a paper plate, it's, which right. is kind of what I look at. If I fire a broadhead into the dirt accidentally or on purpose, and then I go to hit my paper plate at 40 over a course of three to five arrows, after five shots, if it hasn't hit the paper, I go spin it, right? I don't have a spinner beside me. That goes in the mental memory bank. I have a little notebook that I write everything down on, and then I chunk the broadhead in the, you're bent, right? You're fucked. And and (laughs) the immediate response to this, because I get this all the time, well, I've killed hundreds of deer with a with a you know a zwicky or whatever whatever those heads are that's great and they do work i can kill a deer with a build point more than likely if i yeah. put it through the lungs right i'm not doing test for minimum mm-hmm. i'm not and you there is a science behind that and i've done that at work where you run where you run something to failure yeah right we what do can, it on our packs is that right yeah, yeah. you run them to, that's a completely different study than yeah. an optimization study on sound speed and and, and, and energy Go over that a little bit more so people understand it because testing to failure is your, it's going to break. Right. Testing for optimization or, or what you, whatever is, when I, you already said it, totally different. Meaning if I put a pack on and I'm like, shit, that's comfortable. Okay. I just tested it if it's comfortable with 80. Right. Now I'm going to test it with 80, throwing it off a cliff, winging it on my shoulder. I'm going to do a lot of other different tests until it fails. The one that was, all the ones that were comfortable at 80 will have a much, much different outcome when you test to failure because the parts, components, and pieces are different. Right. More than most likely, 80 is going to be comfortable with, you know, three out of five packs. Right. Out of those three to five, there's going to be one long-term warrior that tests to failure far above and beyond the others. Most of the time, though, people aren't 
killing enough shit to, to find that out. But anyway, go ahead. What, what's what's interesting about the arguments that I get is I, I give them examples of like, you know, Jeff shooting his deer with 35 pound limbs. They they want to make the argument, well, I, I, it's good enough. Well, good enough is fine. But well, then why are you running a 50 pound bow? Yeah. You can. Is anyone going to argue you can shoot more accurately with a lighter bow? If so, stand up and let's have that debate. Right. But th- there's just not a lot of logic there. But I, I'm just going to save the 40 emails that we're going to get here on my broadhead's good enough. We're not talking about It'll good enough. It'll be much higher than 40. Yeah, for yeah, you it is. Ahead. For you it is. For me, I'm, I'm pretty lucky, I guess, or, or unlucky. But when you're running an optimization study, you recognize all the trade-offs there are to have. You gather that from subject matter experts, and then you run a test that has some inference space, that has some comparisons to those people's experiences. Mm -hmm. And then you try to share that with a broader group who don't have the same experiences as the subject matter expert. Yeah. And that's where I think they get angry with me. Yeah, and that makes sense. Now, I will say Denny shoots wikis. Yeah. And you ask him, he's like, dude, they're cheap. They're 16 bucks for three. He knows he's going to need to replace them. And and that is a very accept- – now, I will say whoever grinds those is blind because one side will be 32 degrees and the other side will be 14. Or And, and uh, you always have to reshape your bevels. Yeah. Because I have Zwickies and like them. But uh, you reshape your ve- – if I'm going to go kill a bunch of hogs, I'm taking Zwickies. Yeah, and, and I only bring this up because it's not like I'm saying I would never shoot a Zwicky. I've shot three turkeys, I think, with Zwickies maybe. Um, And, and I, I had them for testing because I'm like – that's All the right. hardest thing to kill. <laughs> um, yeah, no kidding. It's like, okay, when people ask me a question and their budget is low, in, in all fairness, I have to have an answer. For, yeah, well, of course. I don't have to. I should have an answer for them for that specific budget, which most people tell you my first question is budget. What's your right, budget? Right. So if you're – most people – I can't I don't, I can't sell a testicle and go buy the two big dogs, Ironwell and Valkyrie. I can't afford them. I get it. Okay, what's your budget? If their budget is remotely close to the, the two big dogs or, or what I consider the two high-end big dogs, I'm like, okay, I'm going to lump in about five different options here, and I'm going to give you the pros and cons of those options, and all of those options are very viable, right. very good options. The, the big thing that you – with – let's use cutthroats, iron will – I can't really talk about the wide cut, but I'm going to talk about it. There's a wide cut I've been working on. The the narrow and the wide. Is there one here? Uh, I'm sure we can probably dig right. one up. Um, and then the Valkyrie. Okay. If you're shooting lower poundage, you got to have a penetrator. That automatically puts you at the smaller iron wheel, a cutthroat, or a Valkyrie. Because right. one's a three-to-one ratio, right. one single bevel, one's just smaller. Okay. That kind of shit cans any other options, right? You you right. have to shoot a penetrator because right. you can shoot low poundage. Right. Okay, you're shooting higher poundage. Are you shooting more big game? Are you shooting small game? Are you shooting more animals? Are you shooting a once-in-a-lifetime animal? There's so many variables. The one thing in those variables that you will find is when you buy the cheaper option, it's a disposable broadhead. The problem is is some cheaper broadheads aren't fucking cheap. That's where I get pissed off. Just because there's a high dollar price tag on that specific product does not mean no matter how much marketing you put into it, it's going to stand the test of time like other high-end broadheads. No, I completely agree. I think think people put way too much stock in a broadhead because the job it has to do is very simple. And and people are going to respond, say, everything's good enough. Oh, they're right. Everything is good enough. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to get the best option. Yeah. And they all have trade-offs, right? I can buy, I have a bunch of Zwickies at home. I have 120 micron stone 
and I bought that because I, I use low end heads for yeah. some of my hunting and I've got to reshape bevels and I need to do it quick. Yeah. So I use, you know, I, I use a KME and a really rough stone and you're going to spend a couple hours on six broadheads if you don't spend a lot of money. Yeah. What'd my buddy say? You're going to spend $16 on three and you're going to have 30 hours in labor Absolutely. or something. Right. <laughs> or you might've said that. No, yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly right. And then, you know, you can get uh, an iron wheel that's razor sharp out of the box and people say they can't be resharpened. I resharpen mine. I've tested them and resharpen them, but I always try to offer three, you know, I, iron wheel, a tough head. And then I like stingers. I've been killing deer with stingers since I was in junior high mm-hmm. and they'll replace your blades. So there's no problem with that. But yeah. That bleeder's going to bend. Yeah. Guaranteed. Yeah. Well, and this is where the confidence things comes into play. Like with Jake, his confidence was rattled. Although he had more deer in front of him by far than I did, little fucker. He, when I say confidence, Jake's killed so much stuff that he was like, not like confidence was rattled, like a target panic confidence, but he was like, I'm going back to what I know has worked for me the best, because why would he? shoot something else um in the, in the case of i have confidence in three or four different broadheads that i know perform right and and the one thing for example the rust thing well these rust not if you do your job i mean if you i put a, a coating on them and i i jam it in my quiver and so it coats them every time yeah, i use century oil yeah I, and it's not that big of a of a, of a deal to, to me that portion of it what is important is if it rusts, can I clean it? That's super simple. But if I've fired it through an animal or two, is it still usable or is it junk? And if it's junk, your test study of cost efficiency is totally skewed compared to if that head is still good. Because even if you can't sharpen it, you can send it back to every manufacturer and they will sharpen it. Yeah. You have to remember to go to the post office, but it'll, it'll work. You have to put a little bit of effort into it. <laughs> yeah. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Well, anything else you want to cover? No, I think that's uh, that's it. That's the message. And, and just to reiterate, I don't have a problem with anybody that wants to shoot anything they want. Just trying to find a shorter path. And, uh, you know, I, I contribute on the Push podcast, and I think their value hierarchy is the same as mine. They're just trying to shorten the, the learning curve there. And uh, I think it's something similar that you're doing here because you're not getting paid by, as I sit in this room, I don't see any banners for anybody. Just the Kafaro banner. Right. That's it. You're not getting paid by anybody <laughs> other than Kafaro. And uh, I'm getting paid by the railroad. So it's unbiased testing. Here's one I got totally off the subject, but argument I got last night. And this is, again, way off the subject. Can you kill a mature whitetail in a ghillie suit on the ground? What are the options? What are the, what are the, what are the. Well, an absolute answer can is yes. Okay. Probability. Probability. You're jumping off a cliff in terms of probability. Okay. So what would you say the chances of killing a five and a half year old buck in a high pressured area on the ground in a ghillie suit in comparison to a tree stand? I, uh, I, if I, this is completely obviously anecdotal, but I have tried to, I prefer on the ground if I can Mm -hmm. because of better angles. I've hunt, I hunt right now where there's mature deer and I hunted in Iowa where there were mature deer and it's, it's probably, I'll just go with a Pareto 80 to 20. Okay. You got a 20% chance versus an 80. And it's, it's not just getting busted. It's your own visibility, seeing them come in and being ready. Yep. But it's the wind. Yep. The wind kills you on the ground. And I love hunting on the ground. And my goal this year was to kill a bunch of does to test these broadheads, to yeah. try to kill like six does really fast with this broadhead. I've had nothing but bucks in front of me. Yeah. And and I've got one, we only get one buck tag in Kansas. I've got one real nice one. 
I'll tell you right now, I was going into this year hunting on the ground because I was going to try to plug a bunch of does. I'm in, I'm in a tree. Yeah. And uh, well, I carry that that pack. I can put I can trap my stand between the pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm in trees all the time. Yeah. Well, and this guy who's he's he's a buddy of mine, and, and uh, he said because uh, I think Matt is Matt and Matt, Matt hunts gillies a lot. Yeah. yeah. And I I just very bold Blake statement back. You won't kill a mature buck that way. And he came back and he said. Zern Zach has shot somebody, so he shot does, um, which nothing wrong with that. No. Um, and then he brought up two guys that have done it, and I said, yeah, they're using compounds, dude. Totally different. This is back of knowing when to draw. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, again, you can draw with compound and hold for quite some time. Right. Um, and, and, and I only brought, bring this up because he brought up a couple YouTube videos of guys killing in ghillie suits, but they had compounds is – if you're going to do it for the greater good of the struggle, I get it. That's right. But you're not going to kill shit. It's, 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 it's not an advantage. <laughs> and if you do, because hunting off the ground is exhilarating. Like, I love hunting off the ground with a, with a recurve. I do for med and mule deer. Yeah. Fuck hunting for whitetail. But, but yeah, it's, it's fun. And you <laughs> yeah. get better angles, so you get great shots. And I did a lot of ground hunting in Iowa. Um, but uh, And I had some three-year-olds come in. Yeah. But in terms of even, forget bucks. Shoot a six, seven-year-old doe. Which is as smart as a six, A lot smarter. Yeah. I've had them <laughs> crush me. If, yeah. I, if anything made me want to pick up a gun, it was a seven-year-old <laughs> doe that was blind in one eye that would not let me hunt a spot that I needed to hunt in Iowa. Yeah. I mean, she was blowing at me as I was shutting my car, my truck door, you yeah. know, I mean, at 4 a.m. So um, that's that's a bigger challenge. An absolute answer is, is it possible? Yes, but you're you're stacking the cards against you my aunt could grow balls and become my uncle too and you got about the same probability of doing it um and and i only brought that up because it came up last night you've killed what you know hunted whitetails and kill whitetails me not hunting whitetails that much until yeah i've hunted them off and on i like the tree stand because it's new i like seeing them come in i like that the sound of the, the the leaves crunching and holy shit it's behind me and it's not something I've experienced as much as hunting on the ground for elk and mule deer, sheep and goat. Right. And so for me, the adrenaline rush is seeing them come in. So I prefer the tree stand. But the, the, the kid and I, or the guy and I that were talking back and forth about this, I'm like, dude, look, I can shoot as good as anyone within reason. I, I mean, why would I drive to Oklahoma to shoot deer, but, you know, fill six tags or five or whatever you right. get, and then throw a ghillie suit on and just cripple my ch- chances by 90%. Yeah. I, I'm like, if you, that's what you want to do. Yeah, it's fun. It, yeah, and, and it's kind of the same with, with this gear stuff. If you want to handicap yourself to the maximum amount, do it. Just don't expect to be super successful right, right. <laughs> when you do it. And I'm going to try. I mean, because I I'm, now you're going to give me hate emails on ghillie suits, for Christ's sake. I, I have a ghillie suit. I love hunting off the ground. I have an ASAT suit I use almost all the time. I yeah. pull it over my sick of gear. A 3D leafy. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be harder. And, and if you do it, it's going to be more fun. Yeah. But uh, I've never been around a 180 class buck before. This year I've got one in my area that, I've, that I can't get on. I can't get uh, within bow range of. But now that I know I've got him out there, I'm, I'm not going to – I'm going up a tree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just more effective. That's why you do it. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, you know, everybody would be hunting in ghillie suits. So. But then they'll turn the question around and say, well, why don't you hunt with a compound? The uh, – yeah, I don't know. Same reason I don't take a fucking rickshaw to work. I drive a car. It makes sense. There's common sense involved in everything. But all right. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on. And definitely everybody check out the Trad Lab, the Push podcast, um, you know, for information on this stuff. Um, they also offer 
like the the pack is what they call it. And uh, for guys looking at getting into traditional archery and need coaching and you don't have a coach, that is your best option by far. Uh, goes over everything. You've got the Dr. Phil of, of Brain Doctors of Archery, Joel. Uh, you, you've obviously got Cody breaking everything apart. The and then the, uh, you've got uh, Tom for the shooting mechanics of it. Um, so you kind of got the total package there of, of getting things figured out. All right, man. Thanks again. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. Yep.